Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Natalia, Stacy, and Brooke, and we are doing fresh starts and second chances. We've done one of these, but it's been a while, so we are back to revisit this because there are a lot of books that work so well for this. So we will get started with the usual housekeeping information, then Stacy will start us off, followed by Brooke, me, and lastly, Natalia. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email, and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. So my first book tonight is one that I talk about as often as humanly possible because it just lit up my heart and soul with ridiculous amounts of joy in 2020 during a time when I needed my soul to be lit up with ridiculous amounts of joy. This is Rock Bottom Girl by Lucy Score. Yeah. And it's the Yay. I know. I know. I, love this book. I do too. And this is the first book I read by Lucy Score. I read it in September of 2020 and I needed it. This book is about Marley. And Marley is 38 years old and she's sort of feeling like a giant failure. She's had a string of jobs that keep not working out and a string of relationships that don't pan out. And now at 38, she's ignominiously returned home to the small town that Culpeper, Pennsylvania. She's living with her parents in her childhood bedroom with her Harry Potter body pillow and just, you know, all of her teenage posters and just sunk as low as she can go. She lost her job. She lost her boyfriend. And here she is back in the town she swore she'd never return to. Now, when you make a vow like that, you know how that always turns out. So Marley's sitting in her childhood bedroom, sort of stewing in her remembered teenage angst as she thinks about how next door her high school nemesis is now living in a McMansion next door to her parents. And one of the other cool kids like owns this car dealership. And here she is back home with no job and very sad sad prospects. Well, she's offered a temporary reprieve back in her hometown. And that is she's offered the position of soccer coach at the high school. Now, Marley did play soccer in high school, 
but you know, it's been a really long time since there's been any sort of soccer in her life. And she's really never thought about coaching, but it's just a semester long sort of appointment. And it's just sort of in hopes that maybe she can keep like the worst girls soccer team in the history of ever from completely tanking. And so she, with great trepidation, takes on the challenge of this girls soccer team who's not very interested in Marley being their coach. Now, she also is very uncomfortable with being back at Culpeper High School because starting her senior year, something pretty awful happened that she might have instigated at homecoming. And she's been banned from any other homecoming in the history of ever in Culpeper, Pennsylvania. And so she's feeling a little concerned about, you know, being part of this high school again, especially where her, her nemesis teaches and the really hot high school bad boy. Don't we all remember, or some of us remember the days when maybe we were interested in the high school bad boy? Cause I still do. And it was fabulous beyond belief to have this unrequited crush on the high school bad boy. I loved everything about it. But Me now, too. her high school bad boy is no longer the high school bad boy. He's turned into a completely charming, charming teacher and coach. And the first time that Marley meets him after nearly 20 years away was not the most glamorous of reunions. But from this meeting and a few others comes a sort of pact between them that he will teach her how to be a more effective coach with these girls if she will teach him how to actually be successful in a relationship. And so they begin the process of fake dating against the backdrop of all of the drama from her high school coming back to roost you know, getting back in touch with her first best friend who she sort of ghosted over the years. And, you know, all of a sudden though, her feelings that she has about Jake become a little less fake than she's playing at. This book is for people who ever sort of feel like they'd like a second chance at adulthood and maybe wish they'd made some different choices or have a lot of awkward feelings about coming back home and being around the people that, you know, in high school were like the popular kids when we weren't. And this book really spoke to my soul for a variety of reasons. It's about, you know, a bunch of sort of disparate girls who are trying to play on this team, but aren't really a team. It's about, you know, like I said, coming home and finding some self-confidence it's about a gorgeous, sexy relationship, an adorable dog, and finding out that maybe coming back home isn't as awful as Marley believed for so many years. This book will this book made me laugh until I was like screech cackle laughing at three in the morning. It was horrifying. I couldn't stop. I was so afraid I was gonna wake up my husband. And yet I still continued to screech cackle laugh because there was no stopping it. Tears dripping down my face. It has some really funny parts really poignant parts. And it's just a lovely book if you enjoy starting over, second chances, and kind of finding where you belong. And again, this is Rock Bottom Girl by the amazing and fabulous Lucy Score.
Shannon recommended I read this book. I think it was last year or the year before, and I read it and I loved it. I totally fell in love. Oh, I know. It's just and now whenever the- I see Lucy's score books, I have to check them out. Oh, and she's written so many good books, but like to me, nothing will ever quite be as special as Rock Bottom Girl because it was my first foray into Lucy Score's amazing writing. So my first book this evening is We Came Here to Forget by Andrea Dunlap. So our main character's name is Katie, um, Katie Cleary, and she was a Olympic skier. And when she was really young, like, so as a teenager, she, her parents decided that if she wanted that she could go and live with her two best friends um, and their father, um, then who were also like the two, her two best friends, Blair and Luke were also Olympic skier hopefuls. And their father is really rich. So he was able to hire like the best ski coaches and everything. And so her parents told her like, if, if it would help your career, then you're welcome to go and like live with Blair and Luke. So then you can train. So she's doing that and her career is just like taking off. She's doing really well and everything's just going absolutely wonderful. Um, And then something happens with her sister that I cannot tell you about, but it completely causes her career to go come crashing down, but also for her family to have some really horrible things happen to them. And so when we begin the book, Katie decides to go to Buenos Aires, um, I think that's Argentina, if I'm not incorrect. And she's decided um, that she's going to go there and she's going to do some touring and just kind of trying to figure out like, where does she want to go next? Um, she's also had a bit of an injury, so she's not able, like she has time off. So she really has time to think about, is it, can she get her career back on track or did what happened to her family? Like, is it kind of like caused too much trouble? So she's in Buenos Aires and she meets some, um, expats and she tells them that her name is Liz. Sullivan because she's decided that like her name is kind of synonymous with what happened um, to her family from her middle name is Elizabeth um, and her mom's uh, maiden name is Sullivan so she goes by that and she meets these people and she gets to know these people and as the book goes along we get to learn the stories of some of these people so each of these people has a reason for kind of taking a break from their life and their reasons for coming to Buenos Aires. Um, The book goes back and forth between now, so when she's in Buenos Aires, but also as her career is taking off. And we also learn about her relationship with her sister. And then we also see what happened and how it all affected her family. This book was really good. It was, it took a while to kind of take off, but once it took off, like I couldn't stop. So this is, we came here to forget. 
and it's by Andrea Dunlop. I've heard really good things about this. I am very, very excited to talk about my first pick. This was actually one of my top reads last year. Um, Robin had recommended it to me early in 2022, and I hadn't read it um, at that point, but I picked it up later, and I'm so glad I did. So this is the first in a trilogy. The whole trilogy actually would fit this episode really nicely, but I'm going to talk about the first book because, well, the first book is honestly my favorite, but also it's just good to start at the beginning. So this is Off Balance. Painted Bay, book one, by Jay Hogan. This is an MM romance about Judah, who is a ballet dancer, like at the top of his career. And he has kind of given up everything for his career. His family is from a small town in New Zealand, and he's been in New York and London and Paris and all these places. And he doesn't really have much of of a connection with his family or with the people you know, other than his family back home. Um, Life in Painted Bay, which is where his family is, was pretty hard for Judah. People were not accepting of his sexuality. He endured quite a lot of, of bullying and he just never felt like he fit there. Suddenly though, at the height of his career, there is an accident on stage and Judah is forced to reckon with this sudden onset of a disability that you know he wasn't planning for Um, he's diagnosed with Meniere's disease Mm. and this causes all sorts of problems for him as a dancer and he ends up having to retire um, you know very unwillingly and return home to Painted Bay when we first meet him he is feeling very sorry for himself he doesn't quite know what his life should look like now, like who he is, where he fits, just what he's going to do. And he's very bitter about being back home, being forced to, you know, kind of depend on his family in a way that he never has before. And he also is trying to figure out how to have a relationship with his brother, Leroy, who was someone that never really felt like, you know, Judah never really felt like Leroy understood him. And so now he's trying to put the pieces back to start over in Painted Bay. And he is able to do this with the help of Morgan, who is, um, he works for kind of the Department of like Fish and Wildlife. And he is also in Painted Bay for kind of a new start, a fresh start. And he and Judah hit it off. They're not sure, you know, where this is going to go. Maybe it's not going to go anywhere. Like no one really knows, but they want to find out. Now, Morgan loves Painted Bay probably as much as Judah dislikes it. And so even as their friendship turns into something deeper, there is this conflict that you know, plays a part because Judah doesn't want to be in Painted Bay. And for Morgan, like there's nowhere better. We also deal with just the idea that there are certain things Judah needs in a place to live. And those of us with disabilities understand how vital these things can be. And yet 
he feels like, you know, if he asks Morgan to move so that they can live in a more accessible place, like that's, you know, asking him to sacrifice quite a bit. Um, this is a novel with amazing disability representation in a way that we don't usually see it. Um, I love that we see Meniere's disease um, because it's not quote unquote a common disability that, that we, we see. And I loved the way the author brought this to life on the page. Um, this whole trilogy is about fresh starts and all of the characters are going through some kind of like need to start over. And this is just a wonderful, wonderful trilogy. I highly recommend it. Um, the first book is Off Balance. We then move on to On Board. And the last book is called In Step. And I just, I love every single thing about this. So once again, it is Off Balance, Painted Bay, book one by Jay Hogan. And if you haven't read it, please, please, please do. I'm going to, because I know that from that same episode that Robin talked about it, that's where Sarah started reading it. I need to catch so up. Good. Yeah, they're so, so good. I'll have to look for it as well. Yes, I think you would really like it. All right, so the first book I'm going to talk about tonight is by an author I really really like and uh the first book i read by this author is really funny so i'm going to mention it. it it's about a woman who discovered that her husband was having an affair or her uh, husband to be was having an affair and she escapes her wedding and she hides in the bathtub of her neighbor with her wedding dress <laughs> on like oh. yeah so just imagine a bride <laughs> in a bathtub on her wedding day trying not to be found and of course her neighbor the neighbor discovers her in there <laughs> wedding dress and all so ever since that first book which is i think it's the dive bar series by kylie scott ever since that first book in that series i have been a fan and when audible original started she came up with this book that is now in print and it's called repeat it's book one in the larson brothers series and it's by kylie scott and this is about clementine jones who has just woken up in the hospital and apparently she was viciously attacked and she doesn't remember anything about her life, like anything, not who she is, not her name, not where she grew up, nothing. And it turns out that supposedly a month before uh, she broke up with her boyfriend, who's a uh, he's a tattoo eye artist. And she doesn't remember him or why she broke up with him. His name is Ed. And so she shows up at his, at his uh, tattoo parlor to get some answers, I guess, you know, to see what, what happened or what could have caused her to break up with him just to try and see if maybe there's some part of her life that she can remember. And Ed is super shocked to see her because the breakup between them almost destroyed him. And he's can't believe that, that she really doesn't remember who she is. In fact, he thinks it's, it's all a, a joke or another I guess, form of cruelty. But then he realizes that this is true and he kind of can't let her go. So should they walk away for good or should their love uh, get a repeat performance? If you want to know, you should read Repeat by Kylie Scott, Larson Brothers, book one. This book was so good. 
So good. I enjoyed it so much. And I never guessed um, why, why they broke up or what she forgot. My second book of this episode is another book that I, well, actually a series that I think Kristen and I try to give a lot of airtime to both of us because we really, really like it. Uh, And the fourth book just came out actually yesterday, which was the 10th. And it's actually on my iPad for me to read when I finish the series that I'm reading right now. I'm talking about the first book in this series is The Road to Rosebend. And it's Rosebend number one by the gorgeously talented Naima Simone. I love her. I wish I could write like her, seriously. And this first book in the Rosebend series is about Sydney Collins. And Sydney, you know, she left the town of Rosebend as a moody, broody teenager, kind of um, a rebel, a hellraiser. Um, and also because of a lot of pain in her family and parents who didn't really have the bandwidth to kind of understand who she was and what sort of trauma she was going to be going through because of some family things that I won't tell you. And now though, it's been about 10 years and Sydney is returning home to Rosebend. She's newly divorced and she's pregnant. And so she wants to start over with her child in the town that was such a great place for her to grow up. And she wants this to be a place for her child to feel safe and loved and feel this sense of community that she always appreciated, even in her more wild days. And just as she's returning to town, she runs into Coltrane Dennison, who is the new mayor of Rosebend. And Cole has been going through a pretty terrible last few years. Um, He lost his wife and his child. So trigger warning for that. And he is just really dealing with a lot of grief. And he feels as though embracing his grief is a way to keep his wife and baby sort of present in his life and to kind of help him to hold on to their memory. So even though he's very attracted to the adult version of Sidney Collins back in town, he doesn't want to act on it because he loves his wife. And just the very thought of Sidney's pregnancy makes him feel some sort of way and nothing about that way is good. And now Sydney's back in town. She's reconnecting with, you know, a childhood best friend. She's trying to find her place in the community again. She's trying to figure out if she and her parents can sort of salvage any relationship so that her, her child will have a relationship with, with grandparents. And while she's navigating all of this, she and Cole keep sort of intersecting and kind of developing feelings for each other And particularly in Cole's case, this is very, very unwanted. He's dealing with a lot as the first mayor of color of this town. Um, He has a lot of resistance to some of his um, changes he wants to make from people who supported the previous mayor, who is a bigot and a horrible human being. 
And so, you know, anything to do with Sydney, while he does like her and does is very attracted to her, it's just making him feel very uncomfortable. Well, just as things are starting to kind of calm down for this couple in Rosebend, Sydney's ex comes back and puts a huge wrench into all the plans that Sydney has for her child and Rosebend. This book is lovely. It's it's all about family, both found and family of origin. It is about navigating a town um, that is somewhat supportive to changes and diversity, but also has its faction who wants things the way that they were. It's about friendship and romance and coming back home and starting over. And I just, I really truly feel that Rose Ben does not get enough love. And that's why I talk about it as often as I can, because I just think this is a really special series. And particularly this book as the first book that kind of sets up the entire um, sort of town of Rosebend as a character in its own right. So this again is The Road to Rosebend, Rosebend number one by Naima Simone. And if you enjoy the series, Mr. Right Next Door, like I said, which is the fourth book in the series, just came out on January 10th. So go forth and read and happy reading. So my next book this evening is Things We Save in a Fire by Catherine Center. So Yay! I read this book. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I read this book like, I don't know, two, three years ago. I can't remember how many years ago, but I loved it. It was my very, very first Catherine Center book. I love fire people. I'm saying fire people because our main character is a woman. Um, so I can't really say fire men. So our main character's name is Cassie. And Cassie is a firefighter in um, Texas. And something happens that I'm not going to tell you about because I don't want to ruin it. Um, But then she's kind of asked to take a bit of a break. And this kind of works out because her mom, who she's estranged from, calls her and asks her to come home to Boston Um, the Boston area, and to come and live with her because she needs her. So even though they're estranged, um, Cassie needs a break, and she feels that she needs to be there. Like, she can't not turn her, like, she can't ignore her mom's request. Her mom doesn't really ask for a lot. So she heads off to Boston, um, and she joins a fire station near um, her mom's home. And This fire station is very much an old boys, um, old boys club. Um, They're very much all about the men and they're all like looking down on her and they kind of give it, they're really, really hazing her badly because they don't believe that she can do the job that they're, that they're able to do. And they're making her prove herself. The only one that really, really kind of has her back is called the we call they call to him the rookie, um, and they don't actually mention his name very often, so I can't completely remember it. But um, her and the rookie, um, they kind of team up, and they really have each other's backs. Um, she's determined to show them that she can do the job, and as she does this, she's starting to kind of discover herself 
And she's also starting to getting a little bit attracted to the rookie. But she's also holding herself back because one piece of advice that her old captain gave her was to never fall for a fireman. So she's determined that this is not going to happen. And I'm sure you can guess. Whenever you deter- you're determined not to do something, like I know, <laughs> like it, get, it, get, it gets really hard not to do it. So I loved the, this book. I loved the way that she found herself. And I loved the relationships that she kind of developed um, and the relationship she found with her mom. I loved like just all parts of this book. I loved. Um, this is Things We Save in a Fire. And it's by Catherine Center. I loved this book so much. And I honestly wasn't sure I was going to like it as much as the first book I read by her, which was um, uh, How to Walk Away. Um, And I did like, she's just kind of like this masterful storyteller that has this knack of being able to like draw you right in and you, you feel like you're there, like with these people. So my next book tonight is the second novel by Candice Cardi-Williams. She wrote Queenie um, a couple of years ago, which a lot of people really, really liked. I have not read it, but I picked up People Person um, and it is pretty, pretty excellent. So this is the story of Dimple and Dimple was raised an only child, but She has four other siblings. So these five share the same father and four out of the five have different mothers. And these people don't really know each other. Like the book starts with the father driving around this town and like, or the city, I should say, picking up his kids in this gold Jeep (laughs) and they don't know each other like they've seen him you know a time or two but they've never really spent any quality time either with him or with each other and he takes them all to this park and he says he has a very good reason for doing this he wants them all to know each other so that they know that these are their siblings and they won't have sex with one another I'm not sure what kind of logic that is exactly but this was apparently very important to him so they, they grow up really just distant from one another. They don't really have a connection. And Dimple is kind of feeling like her life is not great. She is in the process of breaking up with her really slimy, abusive boyfriend. Um, her mom is kind of controlling. She really wants to be an internet influencer, but she doesn't think she's very good at it. Um, and like, just side note, she's kind of not very good at it. Like it's not the best career for her, but she doesn't know that. And then one night something happens and she needs help and she doesn't know what to do because she's pretty isolated. So she decides that she's going to call her older sister and ask for help. And through this sort of desperate action, these five come together and begin the kind of bumpy journey of 
figuring out like what it means to be a family and like is the fact that they are siblings does that sort of trump the fact that they are are strangers for all intents and purposes they've lived very different lives from one another um they have very different relationships with like their mothers and just with themselves with the world at large um and they all kind of have different ideas about what it means to be a family and what it means to be someone's sibling, especially if you were never really taught like, the value of that family connection. Um, parts of this book are a little bit over the top. Like think about um, Finley Donovan is killing it. Like it's kind of, this, the scenarios are are ones that wouldn't necessarily happen in real life, at least not in my real life, I hope, but they work so well in the context of this story and they drive it forward in a way that I think would be hard to do if she had written sort of about more kind of mundane events happening. Um, this was just a lot of fun, but with a depth to it that I think you might not expect when you first start reading it. But it is lovely, and I highly recommend it. This is People Person by Candice Carty-Williams. So did you talk about this on a PIX episode a few years ago? Or? I did not. I talked about Love and Glory by Jandela Benson, which is kind of a similar premise, but not exactly like, okay. quite like this. So my next book is kind of dear to my heart because it's a, a theme that I, mm, how to put it? I really like the theme because it touches my real life, but um, sometimes I kind of don't like the theme <laughs> because it's, it, I, I, you know, like, I'm kind of I really think that men and women can be platonic friends and sometimes these romance novels kind of proves me wrong however this book was so well done and so gorgeous um, that I have to talk about it so this is People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Yay. Henry I loved it and oh my god what what a good book ever since book lovers Book Lovers, I have to say, has the best prologue I've ever read. But, oh my God, what a great book. So this book is about two best friends and 10 summer trips and one last chance to fall in love or confess that they are in love. So these friends are Poppy and Alex, or Alex and Poppy, however you prefer to swing it. And these friends have nothing in common. He likes to wear khakis. He's serious. He's a homebody. And she's a wild child. She likes to explore and has wanderlust and is basically an opposites attract kind of thing. And they had a car share home from college, uh, I would say maybe many years ago. And so ever since that trip that they did together when she gave him a ride home from school, they have been the best of friends. And for most of the year, they live really far apart from each other. She's in New York City and he's in their small hometown. But every summer for a decade, they have taken a glorious one week vacation together. Gosh, I wish I could be guaranteed one glorious week of vacation every summer. Maybe one month, right? <laughs> and then two years ago, 
they ruined everything. How did they ruin everything? I don't know, because they haven't spoken since. Womp womp. I think maybe we can guess, but I don't know. And now Poppy, where our story starts, has everything she should want, but she's stuck in a rut. And when somebody actually asks a very hard question of her, which is when she was last truly happy, she knows that the time she was last happy was that ill-fated final trip that she took with Alex. So she decides to convince her best friend to take a final vacation together and lay everything on the table to make it all right. Miracle of miracles, he agrees. So now she has a whole, only one week to fix everything between them. But if only she could get around the one big truth that has always stood in the middle of their seemingly perfect relationship. Could anything go wrong? I guess you have to read People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry to find out. This book this was such a good book. Is it is so, so gorgeous. Awesome. It is like it's so gorgeous. And I love how each of the the trips they go on every year get more and more interesting as they become more established, you know, from college students who just like take a road trip, you know, driving to later when she's um, working in her job and they can really do some really interesting travel destinations. So that part right. was great. But the best part for me was just like the friendship and like the enduring friendship that lasted for so long until it didn't. And I just really like that they had a, a second chance to maybe like make things right. My final book on this glorious evening is by another favorite author of mine. And I, I have to say, I really struggled. There were like 17 books I could have talked about, but I like to talk about Kate Claiborne whenever I can, because she, again, is a gorgeous writer who really sucks you into her stories. And I'm talking today about Luck of the Draw, Chance of a Lifetime, number two. And this, again, is by Kate Claiborne. And the, the series, the premise of this trilogy is that a group of three best friends, like on a lark, they buy lottery tickets and, or they buy a lottery ticket and they, they win the lottery. And each of the books in this trilogy is about a different one of the friends and basically how um, winning the lottery kind of made positive changes in their lives. So why can't that actually happen? I mean, I don't know. Like, I think that I would really like to win the lottery. So this second book in the trilogy is about Zoe. And Zoe has spent her adult life as a very cutthroat corporate attorney. And she, it was very important for her to eventually make partner and to be the youngest and most successful at her firm. And so she worked a shit ton of hours and didn't do anything but go to work. And she would have brunch every Sunday with her two best friends. So winning the lottery, when she won the lottery, all she could think about as she won was the tears on the face of Mrs. O'Leary when the wrongful death suit that they had was basically um, completely demolished and obliterated by Zoe's firm. And she feels really icky for having even been a part of this, of suppressing this family and giving them a payout to keep them quiet. So this pharmaceutical company can continue doing what they're doing. And she felt like a villain. And she said in order to sleep at night, she doesn't want to be ever in a position again where she sees 
a good person hurt so badly by choices that she's made. So Zoe decides upon winning the lottery that she is going to stop being a lawyer and she's going to start over and she's going to do something else. But what is that something else and who is she? And does she actually deserve any of the good luck that's come her way? And how does she begin to make amends to people that she's wronged as she did her best to climb the lawyer ladder and to be the busiest, the brightest, and the best? And so one thing that she decides to do, she feels like um, she needs to apologize to the O'Leary family for being part of the shit show that ruined their lives utterly after already having um, a person die very tragically. And so she goes to the O'Leary's home and there she meets brooding, bitter Aiden O'Leary, the son of the parents that she saw in that conference room. And Aiden, this is an enemies to lovers romance because he legit hates her and has cast her as the villain. And after a couple sort of frosty encounters, he though has his own agenda and feels as though Zoe would be the perfect person to help him in his endeavor. If she truly wants to make amends, this is how. His brother, Aaron, is the person that passed away. And Aiden has decided that the only way that he can maybe start to move on and help his parents to move on is to be the person who is chosen to run the campground that is currently being sort of offered to several different couples. And the issue is that it's a campground run by a traditional couple who wants it to go to a family so it can you know, continue to be a place for families and couples. Now, Aiden really wants this campground to be something special that would support um, addiction, but he doesn't have a girlfriend or a wife who could be the other half of the couple. So he decides that he's going to sort of get Zoe to be his fake girlfriend during all these weekends at this campground because he's put so many, so many hours into his pitch for why he should be the one who gets to run this campground. So they spend these weekends together in this little cabin on bunk beds and they have to pretend like they're a happy couple. And each weekend, a different couple presents their presentation about what they see for the future of the campground. And even though, you know, Aiden does not really like Zoe, he begins over time to appreciate both the heart and the passion that she is bringing to this whole thing for him and how she is 100% invested in helping him to get the dream that he feels he needs in order to sort of begin to heal from Aaron's death. But over the course of several weekends of tromping down trails and listening to presentations and doing like some, some um, climbing things together and, you know, living in these close quarters every weekend, they begin to kind of feel this attraction for each other, Aiden and Zoe do. And what happens when their fake relationship begins to not feel quite as fake? Now, as 
Zoe is helping at this campground and trying to be Aiden's fake girlfriend. She's also really trying to figure out like what her new start is going to be in her life, who she's going to be, what she wants to do with this next chapter, because she has this money that, you know, she feels like she has more options. And it's also a book about um, the deep wounds that can be caused by family or the deep wounds that you can cause a family. And I just, this book was so much more than like your enemies to lovers trope. Like that is a very satisfying element of the book to me, but it's also about healing and learning more about yourself and just beautifully strong female friendships and so much about family and trying to figure out your place when you start over after some pretty monstrous things. And it's a lovely, lovely book, as is the entire trilogy. So this is Luck of the Draw, Chance of a Lifetime, number two, by the incredibly talented Kate Claiborne. And if you recognize her name, it's because her newest book comes out at the end of January. And I can't wait. So my final book this evening is Swimming for Sunlight by Ali Larkin. So our main character's name is Katie. um, And... Katie has gone through a pretty nasty divorce. Um, And one thing I thought was really cool is she gave everything to her ex so that she could keep their um, very shy, very troubled rescue named Bark. He has a more formal name, but I... Archimedes. But yeah, something like that. So she decides that... Archimedes. No, it's Bark. So maybe Archimedes... Maybe right. it's Barkimedes. It might be Barkimedes. It might be. <laughs> yeah. So Bark and her have the coolest relationship. They really he do. He is so shy. He has so much anxiety, but he is all like, she really, really, really wants to work with him. So she takes him and they take, go and they, she decides to go and live with her grandmother, um, who she calls Nan. Um, and so she's living with Nan and she's learning about Nan. She's learning things about Nan that she never knew. So she learns that Nan used to be a mermaid dancer. So, um, these are dancers who danced under the water. Um, they would wear like elaborate costumes and they would dance all these like choreographic kind of dances. And she thinks this is so cool. Um, Katie always wanted to be like a costume designer. So this makes her really interesting. And so she talks to Nan about it and she keeps learning and she realizes that Nan lost contact with a lot of her old mermaid dancer friends and Nan would love to get reconnected with them. So Katie sets off and decides that she's going to help Nan find her former dance partners and that she's going to help her design costumes and help them put together like a performance where all these women are going to come and do like a mermaid dance. And while she's planning all this, she gets reconnected with an old friend. His name is Luca and Luca and her, they have this week, they're relationship starts rekindling and they have a really neat relationship. Um, One issue that I thought was really interesting that Katie has to kind of face is that she's terrified of swimming. Like she's terrified of drowning. 
So, but in order to really help her, her grandmother, like Nan, with this whole idea of mermaid dancing, she needs to get past her fear of swimming. So that was really neat how Luca helps her to kind of go through this. And also, as the book goes along, she begins to realize that some of her fears and anxieties in life are kind of rubbing off on Bark. So with Bark, she starts to work on herself and it's, and it seems to start helping him, which is really neat. And I know that was totally vague, but I don't want to give away stuff, but like the relationships in this book are so cool. Like you get to learn about some of Nan's friends and she's got some really, really cool friends and have really, really neat stories. So this is Swimming for Sunlight, and it's by Ali Larkin. And I loved it so much. And like, OMG, I'm not, I'm going to have to go and reread this one too. I feel like, Brooke, this is my night to say to you, I need to reread this. Like, I need to reread this. <laughs> oh, and like, I love books with like really colorful, interesting grandmothers. Me and like, too. When you, get, when you get brought into the whole circle of like really interesting um stories like backstories well, I like, but like I older love people like friendships episode oh yes I vote yes so I haven't talked about Chanel Clayton in a while in fact <gasps> no I don't think anybody has talked about Chanel Clayton in a while and that's not shame okay. on us I know so my last book for tonight is next year in Havana the Perez family book one by Chanel Clayton and this is kind of the thing that like started this author on her sort of historical fiction with romantic elements sort of journey, because up until that point, she had written um, more sort of contemporary romance. So this is a dual timeline novel that moves between 1958 and the present day. So in 1958, Elisa Perez and her family leave Cuba and end up in Miami. And her, Elisa's father is like a sugar baron. Um, They're very wealthy and somewhat insulated from all of the political unrest that is going on in Cuba. But once things really start to get bad, it's, it's not possible to shield these women and children anymore. And so her father decides that they need to leave. And so they do. Now, we then move to the present day where we meet Marisol. And Marisol is heading back to Cuba. Well, actually not back, but to Cuba for the first time to lay the um, ashes of her grandmother, Elisa, to rest. And she has never really known much about her grandmother's past and about the history of her family. So going to Cuba is a big deal for her, not only because it's kind of like her grandmother's last request, but she also feels like she can finally get some of her questions answered about where her family came from and who her grandmother really was like before Marisol knew her. So there is like some romance here, but there's also a lot of like political, um, not intrigue exactly, but we see sort of how people were living um, in in Cuba, like right as the revolution was taking off and how it became really dangerous for people who found themselves suddenly, you know, on kind of the wrong side 
of this whole revolution and that they really needed to get out and start new lives for themselves. And the lives that they started in Miami were going to be very, very different from the ones that they were accustomed to living. And so Marisol is kind of torn between the two worlds of like knowing what it's like to live as a Cuban American and really, you know, understanding American life, but then also learning about her family's past and all of the things that they went through in Cuba and trying to find a place for herself in kind of one or both of those places. Um, This was the first Chanel Clayton book that I ever read. And I think it remains my favorite of um, the ones that I have read, but it's just, it's a really, really special book. And if you've not read it, or if you haven't picked up any of Clayton's other historical fiction, I highly recommend her. So this one is Next Year in Havana, The Perez Family, book one by Chanel Clayton. So my last book of the night is probably my favorite book by this author and probably the favorite, my favorite book of 2022 when I read it. And this is Disgrace by Yay. Brittany Cherry. And this book is about Grace. Har har. No, but seriously, it is about <laughs> Grace. And Grace has been married for, I think, 15 years to Finn. And somehow... Finn has walked away from her and where our story starts he's packing his stuff and leaving and so she has decided that she's going to go back home and regroup with her sister and brother-in-law and stay there she's actually the daughter of a the church's pastor um, uh, of the town so she doesn't want to stay with her parents because you know church no divorce ever ever you should work it out no matter what 100 percent. and she kind of doesn't want to disappoint them by them knowing that she's getting divorced um and then when she gets to town she realizes that her husband didn't just leave her because he stopped loving her but he left her because he walked into the arms of someone else oh Uh, which completely like destroys her i mean uh she doesn't at this point she doesn't know how to cope she doesn't know like what she's worth she feels completely low she doesn't know how she's going to exist without you know finn and grace grace and finn by her side it's they've been together that long and all she wants is for finn to change his mind and come back to her but then walks in jackson emery he's the bad boy of the town Uh, he's the son of an alcoholic his mom uh, passed away some years ago uh, under questionable i think circumstances mm-hmm. and um well you know why not use the bad boy as a rebound you know the distracting for distraction for her mind a confidence booster her summer fling something to help her bruised ego and you know they were perfect for one another at that point in time because they knew they wouldn't last jackson didn't believe in commitment and well grace no longer believed in love i mean you know, I think it's hard to believe in love after going through something like that. So, you know, since she was too damaged for him and he was too closed off for her, it was perfect. Except one night, her heart skips a beat. And she notices Jackson. 
and doesn't expect that he's going to make her laugh, to make her sadness disappear, to make her think. And when their time was up and their fling was over, her heart doesn't know how to walk away. So, you know, when the story starts, she's praying for her husband to love her again. And the prayers eventually shift for the man that is not right for her. So this is Disgrace by Brittany Cherry, which is a book that was previously known as Between the Notes, actually. I didn't know it had a different title. So oh. it is. I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't either. Learned something new every day. So this concludes our episode dealing with fresh starts and second chances. Thank you so much to Stacy, Brooke, and Natalia for joining me tonight. As always, thanks goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And we thank each and every one of you so very much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm